thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. Oh, well, I just have a delay too, and I'm Cindy O'Meara. <laughs> that was quite a delay, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> <laughs> well, interestingly enough, speaking of delays, today's actually a super interesting topic. I don't know, well... Not that I don't know. I'm sure most of our listeners have um, been hearing about the um, the mass shooting in the United States that took place in Las Vegas, and we decided that we were going to have a conversation about that and what could potentially have been the cause for that person to have um, had such a response, such a reaction, where he was so cold and so calculated and so measured in his response was it a delayed reaction to something that it's occurred in his life was it something that he'd been planning all along was it religious fanaticism was it mental um you know mental illness what was it that triggered that behavior because i think it's it it and we were talking about this just off air i think it warrants the conversation in such a way that It causes us all to really question, you know, what goes on in our own lives and what we see in our own lives. And although his response was, you know, totally off the off the spectrum and totally, you know, on on one end of the extremes, I think that there's an invitation for us all to have a look and see what's happening inside of our society and what's happening inside of ourselves and are there potentials for delayed reactions with all of the choices that we make. It just, it's just really got me thinking about we can make a decision to do something for our well-being today, but then it comes back to bite us on the bum tomorrow. And, you know, I think there was something I was thinking about, um, it, and, and, it's, and it's interesting now that we've had this conversation, it's kind of all of these things are rushing through my mind. You know, I've known people who have taken uh, medications for ADHD who've gone ahead and committed suicide later in life. And um, I've and I've often wondered if there was a link. And of course, there is research that will support all, all arguments on that. But Cindy, you've read an article about this particular guy who was taking Valium, um, and you know, I, I just looking at some of the statistics, it's definitely worth throwing it around and seeing, you know how well i think one of the things is to see how to do the research for yourself if you do have people in your life who are taking some kind of um drugs that are affecting our mental stability or our mental well-being i know that there's a statistic and this is kind of a little bit off but there's a statistic that 68 percent of american women over the age of 44 are currently on antidepressants which frightens me enormously because that's almost 70% of the female population in the United States. And the United States is a pretty good snapshot of humanity in terms of numbers. That frightens me that 70% are not um, functioning on all four cylinders. So what are we doing to ourselves? How is it that we're finding ourselves in these positions? And 
other alternatives? What do, you know, how do we handle these sorts of situations? Because I think one thing's for sure, certainly with social media and with the advent of television media, obviously, as well, we are seeing a hell of a lot more of this sort of behaviour. And whether it's always been there but we just haven't seen it or whether it's accelerating and exaggerating now, I think that begs the question as well. So over to you guys. What are, what are your thoughts on this, Cindy? I'm super keen to hear about this, this article that you found. Yeah. You know, I, I think everybody needs to know that we're not experts. We are um, merely wanting to speak about this. Yeah. Uh, Karen, I, I, you know, I know your study is in, you know, the mind, but this is probably very complex. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's probably really complex. So I want our our listeners to to realise that. So this is us having a chat. Other friends going, why? How, Mm. How could somebody do that? Why would he do that? He seemed like, you know, a normal guy. You know, if, if you had a gambling debt, commit suicide if that's how you feel. But why kill, you know, innocent young people and, you know, every age at, at a concert that are hemmed in by fencing um, that could go nowhere and hurt hundreds and hundreds of people? And I think the, that conversation will be across coffee, across tea, across families. And so it's just us three trying to figure out, well, why would somebody do that? And I'm, I'm very much into I like to read um, articles from people who um, may be in the know. And um, I read two amazing articles from two psychiatrists, very well, um, you know, educated people that are in psychiatry. And uh, one of the articles, and I, I do... I'm going to put these in the notes, but I I would suggest that you read it because they're very interesting. And the first one um, is written by um, Ali, and I'll I'll give you all that spelling in the notes, but Ali Levia. And she talks about running amok and um, what that used to mean, you know, back in you know, a long time ago. And it's, um, it says, although it was not classified as a psychological condition until 1849, a was first described anthropologically around 200 years ago in isolated tribal island populations such as Malaysia and Papua New Guinea, um, where geographical seclusions and indigenous spirituality were hypothesised to be cultural factors implicated in this cultural bound syndrome. And they called it running amok when, and you know how we say, oh, the kid's running amok? Well, amok means murderous rage. And so I think... Does it? Yeah. When we know where that terminology comes from, it may be something we don't want to actually say again about our children. Oh, they're running amok. It's actually they're running in a murderous rage. Um, and now that people understand that, go and read about it and read about the incidents of um, you know, running amok. But what he did was he was in a murderous rage and he ran amok. And then she says that he was on a medication and that medication was Valium. And um, Valium is a, a, a type of drug that... Um, has many side effects and 
uh, we looked up the side effects, didn't we, Karen? So I thought you might like to read um, those side effects of the benzodiazepine um, that he was yeah. having. Yeah, so um, so it's got it, it, the side effects on the different parts of the body. Um, so it's got on the nervous system is drowsiness, amnesia, um, epileptic attacks, sedation, headache, hangover, concentration difficulties, memory loss, um, hypersensitivity to phys- physical and visual and auditory stimuli, um, drowsiness, tremors, and so on. And then the psychiatric which is common, they've got it listed as common, which occurs in 1% to 10% of people. Um, confusion, withdrawal symptoms, euphoria, increased anxiety um, and panic, irritability, delirium, aggressiveness, aggression, numbed emotions, instability, restlessness, agitation, inappropriate behaviour, delusions, rage, hallucinations, nightmares, confusion or paranoid psychosis which I thought was pretty, it's, that's pretty significant. Um, in the rare cases, it says in excitation, insomnia, hostility, um, uh, disinhibition, emotional poverty, behavioural defects, delirium, broken sleep, um, and the unmasking of depression, which, was, which is interesting. Mm, very interesting. Yeah and abnormal thinking. It's, you know, I often, when, when um, and I know that I've mentioned this before, I can't remember when, but when um, Greg passed away, my partner, nearly 16 years ago now, when he passed away, there was a time that I felt unable to um, handle what I was thinking and feeling. And it was literally the second day afterwards that I discovered that he'd taken his life. And I went to the doctor because I was worried about myself and my girlfriend Jodie was worried about me because I was beyond my ability to cope with that. And they gave me Valium in a heartbeat. And um, so I gave the Valium to Jodie and I said, you hold on to those and just give me one when I ask for it. And so she hid them in the house. And when I took the Valium, it was interesting because my body felt very lethargic, but my mind did not stop racing. So I still couldn't sleep. I still was so incredibly agitated, but I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I couldn't get up and actually burn the fuel, burn the energy that I was experiencing because my body felt quite debilitated. So I can imagine after an extended period of time for myself, I would have had a lot of um, extreme frustration. I'd stayed on the Valium for five days or six days, which is nothing. It's absolutely nothing. But by the end of the six days, I couldn't wait to stop taking it because of how it made me feel so incapacitated physically but so agitated mentally and emotionally. It was more agitation than I think I would have felt without them. Which I thought was all, was, which was really, really interesting. So I've always thought, you know, you can calm the body, but you definitely can't quiet the mind. Not with medication, anyway. So that's interesting. So were you informed? No. Were you so informed at all? And, no. And, that, and to me, that's that's uninformed consent. That's what you basically did. You consented to take something that mm. they did not inform you as to the risks and. 
Kelly Brogan, Dr. Kelly Brogan, she's a psychiatrist out of New York, and she was the second article that I read. And she believes that if you have informed consent, then you know what you're up for and you can tell your family members, you know, if you see me doing this or if I am like this, then, you know, please uh, make me aware of it because as some of the things that you said, Karen, with regards to the side effects of of Valium um, were numbness and um, what was it, a a rational um, uh, hostility, you know, things like that that is normally out of character. Yeah. And re- and remembering you said 1% to 10% of the population will have those violent um, outbursts. So yeah. how, how many women did you say in the US were on it? 60? 68% of women over the age of 44 are on antidepressants. So you take, there's what, 320 million people in the US. Let's halve that population. Let's, let's even go to 150 million, you know, not even quite half. Go to 150 million, 60% of that, let's go to 100 million. 100 million, 10% of that is 10 million. 1% of the 100 million is 1 million. That's 1 million people with the possibility they could run amok. That's scary. And then you take into consideration the gun laws in the States. Yeah. You know, like I watched something on Facebook this morning of a young girl on her 13th birthday. She was opening up, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but she was opening up a case for her birthday and her parents were filming her and she opened it up and she was sob, sob, sobbing. You know, like we see kids sobbing when they get given a puppy for their birthday. This girl was sob, sob, sobbing as she pulls out her very own Beretta. What's a shotgun. Oh, my gosh. A shotgun. And she's sob, sob, sobbing with excitement that she's got her very own Beretta. I looked at it and it was, under the, it was on the Beretta, Beretta Facebook page. And I looked at it and I saw this video and I watched it because I thought, oh, there's going to be a puppy on that. <laughs> so because so it says, Look, watch this girl's surprise on her birthday. It'll make you cry. I thought, oh, she's getting a puppy. I know she is. I know she is. And she's sitting in the car opening up this box. And I thought, Beretta, isn't that a gun? No. It must be something different. And then I kept watching it and sure as nuts, it's a bloody rifle. (laughs) Oh, for goodness sake. You know? Oh, really? Really? Yeah. That's a whole other podcast really, isn't it? That's a whole other conversation. A whole other podcast. But remember and and I think yeah, I agree with the attitude of guns and everything, but you also have to remember the gun doesn't shoot itself. Absolutely right. The human behind the gun that shoots shoots. And so it's the human we need to see if you know, see if we can question this. Um and this informed consent um has been absolutely dulled down um, by the FDA. Um, in, in Kelly's article, she says, um, the FDA and the pharmaceutical industry have gone to great lengths to conceal the multiple signals of harm, but we certainly can't expect your average prescriber, which is our, our psychiatrists and our medical doctors, to have done the investigative work required to get the truth. Um, between 1999 and 2013, a whopping 170% increase in psychiatric medication um, were being prescribed. 
um, concurrently with a 240% increase in death rates from these medications. And the death rates come from either suicide, self-harm, um, or um, violence and homicidal um, actions. But we're not even hearing about the person that is on these medications and may kill you know, their kid or their husband or their wife or their friend or the next door neighbour. We don't hear that. We only hear when somebody is on, you know, in a hotel in the middle of Las Vegas and shoots out rounds. So we, I don't think the population really understand what is happening with the, these medications. And, and if we're informed as to is there an alternative, and, and we will talk about the alternatives as we move into this podcast because it's no use creating a problem when we don't give you, you know, well, what, what else can we do? You know, my, and you hear this all the time, but it, was, it, it, it got me better. You know, it might be something on short term that is needed, but um, yeah. definitely I'm not sure if it is on long term. So Kelly talks about um, Kelly Brogan, Dr. Kelly Brogan, the psychiatrist. She um, talks about a wife who, um, whose husband goes on the medication, um, and I can't remember what it was, an antidepressant, but goes on the medication and he says to her, I feel like my head and my body is separated. And two days later he commits um, suicide via hanging. And one of the things that um, both these doctors have said is that um, one of the, the choices that they make with these medications if they do try to commit suicide is that they do it by hanging. Like, I, I just, you know, you know you're doing, they're doing the right thing when you do that. You've... Yeah, you know this is, you're not going to fail. Yeah. Do they know, is there any, um, is there any information there about, men versus women on it? Because mm. well, I do remember reading some statistics, and I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but I remember reading some statistics that if the men who commit suicide, the majority of them will hang themselves because it's a definite thing, whereas women are more likely to do a cry for help first, Yeah. whereas men are less likely to do a cry for help and they'll just go straight for the most fatal. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if, there was a, if there's a link between people who are on those sorts of medications and I know of a young lady um, and I don't know her drug um, but she, any medication she was taking I have no idea but she did a self-harm which really self-harmed her the first time and then she hung herself the second time oh, wow yeah so look we're doing anecdotes yes Kimmy I just want to go back a step from the medications and how these medications have been created and why. And, and a deeper question I'd love to ask away from the hideousness of, of what happened in Las Vegas. I mean, they're saying that it was a misdiagnosed, undiagnosed mental condition. Well, no kidding, Sherlock. I mean, really, you uh, have to be mentally deranged to do what he did. But secondly, I want to ask you guys, You've mentioned it as well, Cindy, in the past. Is it societal and an issue where um, as we're growing up and we get pains and it's absolutely, without a doubt, every single person you meet, we have life pains, we have heartache, we have tragedies, we have stories, we have 
every one of us has a story. Every one of us has, I'm yet to meet the person who's ever said they've had the perfect life as in no tears, no pain, no suffering. So if suffering and pain and tragedy and um, down times is definitely a part of being human and is definitely every story, every film, every book you ever read always has triumph over adversity and it's, that's what's part of the human spirit is seeing how we come through that. And you've brought it up before too, Cindy, where, you know, if as kids they're given Panadol or they're given a drug to, to numb the small pains in life, what do we do when we get hit with the big pains like a broken heart or the loss of someone we, we love dearly? And I'd just love to ask, I mean, yes, there's a lot of blame perhaps or a lot of question around doctors and, and these pharmaceutical companies that create these drugs. But when the demand is there and people want to numb the pain because it's too hard to deal with or for whatever reason they can't cope or they, they feel like it's too hard or we try and run away from the pain, I'd just love to ask you, Karen, because I think we brought this up in one of our very first podcasts around depression and what it is and what it's about, but could you explain a little bit about, like, what, what do you both think about that? That is it the fact that we as human beings are doing all we can to avoid the inevitable pains and struggles and challenges of life? Therefore, we want stronger and harder and bigger drugs or alcohol things to numb. We, we try and move away from pain rather than through pain. I'd just love to understand both your thoughts on that one. You go for it, Cindy. Uh, well, I'd first like to, I'd, I'd like to address two things that you said, Kim. Number one, how can anybody um, do that unless they've got a mental illness? Um, the two doctors that I actually have read, the two psychiatrists, number one, why was he on Valium? Was it to calm his nerves or was, did he have a mental illness? Or was it the Valium that created the delusional um, and all the things that we, we've now found out are the side effects of, of Valium. So I, I don't know if it's which, which way it goes, but they're not necessarily saying that he has a psychological condition. Um, so that, that was number one. And I think that was an interesting point to make. And I agree with you, Kim. I thought they're obviously crazy or mentally unstable or has some psychological condition to do that. So that, that was my thought exactly. But I think it's interesting that they have said, well, you know, maybe he didn't. So that was number one. Um, and number two is, like I've always said, we've become such a drug-pushing society and um, we, we take medication from the day we're born. You know, the first one that we get is an injection and it's vitamin K. Um, if we have pains in our, our teething, we take um, Bongello, I think it's called, or something our mother gives, thinking it's the right thing to give. Um, give Bongello to soothe the pain so they don't feel the pain, but that's when the body first and the, the human first or the baby begins to feel pain. And it's their way of you know, getting activating the pain systems in the body. It's, you know, these are systems that are activated and if we dull them all the time, they don't get activated. So we need more and more drugs in order to, you know, help with any pain. Whereas if you have a situation where 
you are in pain and needing to take one of these drugs, if you've been taking them all your life, they hardly make any effect. But if you've never taken them before, their effect is enormous. So we then bring our children up with antibiotics, um, Panadol, because this is the society that we live in. And so we have the belief that it is a pill that will make us feel better physically and mentally because that's what we're told. Oh, this will make you feel better. Here, take this. Oh, this will make you feel better. And so then when you get to become a teenager and somebody offers you a little white pill and says, this will make you feel good, you, you know that it will because that's what you've been told your whole life. And I've always said we have to deal with the drug problem we have in the home before we can even deal with the drug problem we have in the street. And I don't think people realise the drug problem we have in the home uh, until they begin to take um, a look at exactly what are the medications, how often do I take them, how many do I take, how many am I dependent on. And we're finding more and more people that are having um, not addiction to illicit drugs but addiction to prescribed painkillers and, and medications, those, you know, and especially the painkillers. Um, so then when we have a mental illness um, or we're depressed or we have anxiety or like Karen has a life event happen to her and you trust your doctor that he will give you something that will dull the pain, take it away from you, then you trust that what he's saying is right. But who's the 1% or the 10% of people who take it that become hostile and violent and suicidal and homicidal and uh, we don't know. So... I, I feel that it's changing. I feel it's turning. There's more and more people not becoming dependent on medications and beginning to realise that perhaps there is another way which we will talk about. There, maybe there is another way that we can, can do this and think differently about this. And we don't become uh, children of the drug revolution or we don't have children of the drug revolution because that's what we're in at the moment. Like I just... I just recently heard, um, it was on the radio today, I was driving home, and it, it basically said that um, there's a new drug for cancer patients, and I don't remember, it was a special cancer. The drug was $160,000 a year to take. And our government, through the prescribing benefits scheme, have decided that they will foot the bill for this and um, we, you'll only have to pay $35 a year. Wow. I, like I understand when you have a family member or you have, you know, you have cancer that you want, you want the best treatment and you can't afford that. But to me I see, I see red flags. How does a, a drug cost 150000 or 160000 a year? I don't, like, it's a pill and I understand the research behind it and everything like that. But, and mark me if I'm wrong and remember we're having a discussion as three girlfriends. So there could be people out there that are just going, you know, it's worth it, we should do it. But our prescribing benefits scheme 
is allowing so many people access to so many medications. And it's not just about cancer and things like that. It's about so many medications that they're going to send um, Medicare broke because we rely on medications. We're not relying on perhaps this is an opportunity for change. Perhaps I have to feel the pain. And I think, Karen, you're probably going to talk about this. Perhaps I have to feel the pain to get well. Um, perhaps as a lifestyle I can change. And I, I want to give you the example of a really good friend of mine um, who I've just been to her husband's funeral a week ago. And three years ago he was given the diagnosis of leukaemia and they went and had um, ra radiation and chemotherapy and he was given the all clear and they, they went away for six months. He got it again. They came back. They did um, bone marrow transplants and chemotherapy. Um, he went, they gave him the all clear. He went away again. Six months later, he comes back and um, he's got leukemia again. And um, they say there's nothing we can do. And, and he passed away six months later. And I, I used to, you know, visit them every now and then. And um, they smoked. They drank. They loved their meat pies. They weren't prepared to change their lifestyle. And that's a choice. And, and I, just, I just sometimes think there are some people they don't want to change. They just want to take a medication. But when you see what happens in the US, I, I think... There needs, someone needs to stand in and say, hey, guys, you have to change. And if you don't change, be a little bit like Gary Fedke. 20 years ago, Dr. Gary Fedke said, if you keep, keep smoking, I'm not operating on you because he's an orthopedic surgeon. Or now he says, if you don't change your diet, then you're crazy because you're going to lose a leg and I'm going to just take that leg off or I'm going to have to, you know, he says most of his work is because of diabetes, because people don't want to change their lifestyle or change their diet or change the way they're, they're doing things. And I'm sorry if I just rambled on, but this is a girlfriend rambling on and feeling disgusted with the system and what it's come to and the pain people have and the suicides that we're seeing amongst our young people uh, yeah, I just think it's it's time for change. And it has to come from a grassroots level because I don't think the government are going to change and say, sorry, guys, if you don't stop smoking, which we know causes these issues, then we're not prepared to, to give you the money to get well. And I know I'm going to get hell for this, but that's how <laughs> I feel. I feel, feel that way. Am I callous? <laughs> <laughs> They think well, I'm callous, everybody. <laughs> I don't think you're. I don't think you're callous, Cindy. I think that there is a level of merit in what you're saying. I think um, to for, for those that um, you know are smoking and drinking and um, you know shoveling in packets of lollies and you know clearly making choices that are naturally going to put a strain on the healthcare system and perpetually making those choices even though they know better, then, yeah, I think that there's a lack of responsibility there that um, is inexcusable. But I think there are some who obviously just are damn unfortunate. It's like those people that don't smoke, don't smoke and don't drink and they're the ones who pass away early 
or those that are, you know, incredibly fit and do take care of their well-being, but they're the ones who land up with the cancers and the, you know, leukemias and so on. And it's, you know, for those people, I think our medical system um, is a real godsend. Yes. I think in answer to your Kimmy, your question, your Kimmy question, <laughs> um, in answer to your question, Kimmy, I think that uh, we have a bit of an issue, and I think Cindy's spoken to it beautifully. We do have a bit of an issue with a society that doesn't teach our children. Therefore, as we get older, we don't grow with the skill, but it doesn't teach us to um, self-soothe, and it doesn't teach us to manage the big pains or the big emotions probably is a better way to say the big emotions so big emotions being big massive excitement when the puppy arrives or Mm. big massive emotion when um, grandma dies or if the husband passes away or you know we live in a volatile society now so if there is a shooting or there is a suicide or there is a bombing or whatever you know we haven't really prepared ourselves well to deal with big emotions and i think we have medicated those emotions and also too we've soothed those emotions with food hence our massive issue with obesity um and then obviously you know the mental illness that comes with obesity um so i think that you know we've kind of it's a snowball effect and if we can begin to teach our children how to deal with the big emotions in life. And I think, you know, I just, I literally just finished on um, Saturday my effortless self retreat here on the Sunshine Coast where we had a room full of parents and the whole theme of the retreat, while it was very much about self-inquiry, it was self-inquiry in order to teach the children so that then the kids can actually learn to be self-aware instead of looking to a world outside of themselves to support them in every way. So when it comes to the big emotions, when it comes to physical pain, when it comes to illness, they know how to support themselves and emotionally soothe themselves because, you know, I, I do see, I do see a lot of people that I work with that, um, get a headache straight into the Panadol, straight into the Macindol, straight into the Panadine Fort, straight into the heavy stuff. Um, and I can understand, you know, from time to time I've had migraines and had to go and get injections, but I think that there's, there's a level of pain that you attempt or that you can attempt to manage and self-soothe. And then sometimes it does go beyond our physical ability to self-soothe. But I think if we were learning how to do that, from the time that we were small, we would be a less reliant society and perhaps, dare I say it, to be controversial, um, perhaps that's one of the reasons why we have the society that we have so that we are reliant and we're reliant on our pharmaceutical companies which run our governments, which run our countries, which run our worlds and it's all for the benefit of profit. So I think that there is some changes happening. I certainly see it on social media. I certainly see a lot more awareness now and a lot more education now than what I've ever seen. And my hope and dream and wish is that it really transforms in my lifetime so that my nephews and their kids land up living a more responsible life when it comes to their own health and well-being. because otherwise what's the point of being here? You know, if we can't live long, happy, beautiful lives where the mind and the body work together to sustain us and to sustain our communities, that's beyond profit that we begin to work for the well-being of, of all of humanity, what's the point? 
what's the point? You come here, you work your ass off and then you die. What's the point? <laughs> you know, I really don't see that. I, I really don't see the point. And I think it's it, having just come off the retreat. I think I'm very aware of that whole, um, what is the freaking point? Unless you're working for the good of humanity and unless you're learning how to master this piece of life, the skin bag that you're in, and it's mastering it on all levels, what's the freaking point? Why on earth would we be here? Certainly it's not for misery and it's not for pain and suffering and illness. You know, the, those in higher places are not putting us on the planet here laughing at us as we all suffer through our lives. You know, ultimately they're waiting for us to wake up and to become self-aware, self-actualized, Mm. And have that be the um, the objective of all of humanity, and then all of humanity works for each other. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I, I have to say though, without vote for me. But without, but without the suffering, there is no joy. Like how? Well, it's it's not that there's no oh, joy. There's no appreciation of the joy. There's no. There's no question that. Yeah, there's no question What's about that. that. There's no question about that. We only do learn through contrast. But joy is only experienced on a background of suffering. And Mm. we create suffering. We create that. We create suffering because of our misalignment in, in in the body's harmony and in the mental harmony and the emotional states of ourselves. We create that. You know, the universal forces are our main... So you mean the meaning that we put onto that is what we create as the suffering or the, the hardship, the, the meaning we put into it? Well, you think about, you think about illness. Illness is a disharmony and a dis, dis-ease inside of the body because the body in and of itself is neutral. So we've got this, dis, this disharmony happening inside of the body that's either caused through physical um, onslaughts or through mental onslaughts. And then we've got you know, the suffering that happens in marriages, relationships, bankruptcies, divorces, car accidents, um, bombings, terrorism, Mm -hmm. all of these sorts of things, we're creating all of those because of the complete and utter disharmony amongst humanity. And then we have moments of joy, but those joys, that those moments of joy or those days or weeks or months of joy are really just experienced against a background of suffering. Because you have your joy for a period of time and then you don't have it anymore and then you've got to go searching for it because you feel down or depressed or something's gone wrong. And then we have moments of joy again and it's kind of like this roller coaster ride. But we're doing that to ourselves, I believe. Please don't you know, take that as an absolute truth, but I believe that through our own disharmony as a, as a race or as a species as well as the meaning that we give to things for sure, we are the creators of our, of our suffering for sure. I think I agree with you um, regarding, you know, there there is that polarization that is happening. And I remember listening to Dr. Martini talking about that polarization at a, um, a conference I went to and watched him. You know, there is hate and there's love. There's black and there's white. Um, and and now we see the polarization of um, medicine versus natural. Um, healthcare, like just um, last week, Dr. Simon Floriani and another medical doctor, so he's a chiropractor, another medical doctor, have been struck off their registers, not allowed oh, to. No way. Yeah, not allowed to practice because he showed, Simon showed um, the movie Vaxxed, which is about not 
non-vaccination, it is actually about um, evidence that was, cover, that was covered up by the CDC about uh, the side effects of the MMR. So Simon showed that film um, and he is not allowed to practice, that he has been deregistered, um, or I don't know if it's deregistered, I don't know, but he's not allowed to practice and he's got to fight for his innocence. He's been proven guilty without any charges, basically. And then the medical doctor that this happened to, like there's two medical doctors that have just now gone um, being, I don't know if they call it deregister or, or suspended or what it is, but one was a, a doctor by the name of Dr Peace um, because he was giving exemptions to patients he believed needed to be exempted from having vaccines because we know that vaccines are not 100% safe, that we know there are, there are harmed people. Like one of our friends lost her child 24 hours after vaccination. So we know this. this is not a, it's, it's not rocket science. You don't have to go to the science literature to see it. You see it in your community. And... Um, you know, so there was another doctor, I can't remember his name, that was doing the same thing as Dr Peace and now he's been uh, suspended um, from practising. And I don't know if the public's waking up to this or whether it's hidden or what it is, but it's almost like this... <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's like everybody's being silenced that's trying to say, hey, there is another side. There's a polarisation here. There is, you know, there's the good side of vaccines, but there is a bad side too, and we need to acknowledge that. And it's like you were saying, Kim and Karen, you know, without feeling joy or without feeling sadness, how do you feel joy? Because otherwise if you're in a state of joy all the time, you don't know you're there because you haven't got that polarised feeling. It's like awake and asleep. Um, there's always night and day, moon and sun, <laughs> green and dry. It's, there's this always a polarisation and it's been since the beginning of time. It's about accepting that there is a polarisation and accepting each other, other's choices. Um, but sometimes that polarisation, as in religion, can become quite... Um, dramatic as you have no Karen you know you were innocently in the middle of a religious war and you know you, you have suffered you know I don't know if I can say suffered or learnt or mm. you know what has happened but you were in the middle of it but you were an innocent bystander in the middle of that yeah agreed agreed so it's an interesting, it's an interesting conversation, is it? Though I mean, it, when you think about what we started off talking about mm. and how it's kind of what we've how we've evolved in the con the conversation just through your questions, Kimmy. Yeah, you know, it's kind of sparked a whole new way of looking at at at, at everything. Really, what are your thoughts on? what's happened? Because I know that we've struggled to hear you a little bit on the, on the show. What, what are your thoughts on what's happened? With the, this, the thing in Las Vegas? Yeah. Um, well, I have to be honest with you. Um, it feels so surreal to me because I, mean, I don't know what it's like to live in a country that has gun laws so accessible. I don't know what it's like to live 
in a, in a city like Vegas that is so big and colourful and vibrant and alive and, and full of kind of gambling and, um, you know, which is it's a play place, but it's also probably not a real place um, in many respects. It's not like an everyday living situation. I also don't know and don't understand how anyone could inflict pain on another human being and stand at a, at a window for nine or 11 minutes, however long it was that he got to file all those rounds and how long he must have been planning and, and getting those suitcases up into his room and how no one noticed all the different suitcases he must have been taking up there or the room service people. So, so I mean, to be honest with you, it's, it's a bit like 9-11. I, I remember watching it and I thought it was a new movie. I said to Danny, oh, there's a new movie. It looks really freaky. They've crashed a plane into the, into the trade, uh, World Trade Centre. And I, it kind of felt like a movie watching that because the, the association of movies and, and the amount of information we get thrown and bombarded with, you know, Netflix and, and movie theatres and, and Google and all these things that we constantly, it's almost... It's almost like I'm questioning now what's real even anymore. And and then I was interested why the girl, the partner of this guy, you know, why it took so long to get her back from the Philippines where she was. And, and then she was in a wheelchair and I'm looking at her and then the brother comes on completely flabbergasted, obviously, and totally what it must feel like to be the brother or the mother or the partner of someone who inflicts such hideousness. So... And then I think of all the lives that have been lost and affected forevermore and how this name Stephen Paddock will become, you know, synonymous to being America's worst massacre killer. And I just, I, I don't know. I, I, that's why I had to go back and go, you know, if it is drug-related, as in prescription drug-related, or that he was showing signs. I mean, I lost my sister-in-law to suicide after a psychotic episode. And yet she was the most placid, most beautiful earth mother you could ever meet. She was given antipsychotic medication, which one of the side effects is a psychotic episode. And I've questioned that with doctors. And I've had some doctors say, oh, no, the medication wouldn't have had time to take effect over those two days. And I've had other people go, that's, that's a classic um, situation. So I, I don't feel qualified enough to say anything. But as a girlfriend, as a as a friend of you two and, and our beautiful listeners, I, I, I don't have anything intellectual to say, but I am, I am frightened of what it means on a bit, not frightened, I'm, I'm perplexed at what it means on a bigger scale. You see, just recently my, uh, you know, Jacob and Taylor, I keep laughing. Every time anyone meets them, they always go, oh, we know a lot about you. <laughs> I don't realise how many people listen to the show, but maybe one day they might listen to a show. But Jacob had his heart broken this year, his first love, and it was broken. And all I remember thinking the whole time of supporting him and watching his anger, his hurt, his tears, his frustration, his, his life, where it felt like it had, you know, like in his world, fallen apart. All I remember thinking is when I've gone through my pains and had, therapists and counsellors and psychologists supporting me through various things. One of the things that I've noticed is that you've got to feel it to heal it. And so I felt my job with Jacob going through with that massive pain and for every listener listening to this, we all know what that first heartbreak, you honestly feel like your world will never 
be the same or that you'll ever get over it. And I felt all his pain. So I kind of felt like I relived my first heartbreak as a mother. But one thing he said to me just the other day, now that he's come through it, he's, he's obviously having a great time, life's good again. And he even said to me the other day, you know, mum, when I was going through that, I actually, I couldn't see the haze. I couldn't see through it. But what I do recall is you being there for me every step, every breath. And he said, I just, I can't thank you enough for being at my side because you gave me hope. And I just sat there and I thought, oh, wow, you know, like, like maybe, maybe that's our job as part of humanity is we'll never stop the pain and the suffering. But to stand beside somebody or to walk, to walk the path with them with strong empathy, not sympathy, but empathy and compassion and strength and, and knowing that this too shall pass, that you will get through this or you'll find another way of living. I guess my hope out of all of this is for any tragedy, and let's face it, this probably won't be the last hideous massacre we ever hear of. But surely there has to be question around medications, gun laws, people's accessibilities, um, going into hotels, taking in suitcases. Like, I don't know, maybe the world is changing and we're having to go to the complete other spectrum of what it is to live in fear and to live in all this to truly understand what it is to live in bliss and harmony and freedom again. I don't know. Maybe I've just asked a lot more questions than <laughs> I just answered. I think I think this podcast has been um, I think it's been a fantastic conversation to just like throw it around. I don't know that we've come up with any answers necessarily, but I think we've certainly maybe asked some questions that some people may have been asking themselves and it's great to have a place where you can come and hang around and have a chat. Um, you know, with your three gals right here in your lounge room mm. with you. Just kind of throwing around some of the things that cause us to question the very meaning of life sometimes, hey? Yeah. We did say that we would um, do a few solutions and, um, you know, I don't, I don't know whether uh, it's, it's a solution to everybody, but it's worth a try. Um, and I really like uh, Dr. Kelly Brogan, the psychiatrist out of New York, and what she's doing because she's trying to get people off antidepressants. So for anybody who is on Valium or antidepressants or antipsychotics or whatever it is, please do not go off them. That's, um, that's not our business and that's not for us to say. But at least become informed of the side effects so you understand them. Inform your family that if they see anything that they're a bit concerned about to, you know, say something to you or maybe go to the doctors together. But Kelly's way of getting people off um, her, their medications is lifestyle changes and it's food, which is what I love, you know. The, we start to change the foods that we're consuming. We look at the the health of the gut and the microbiome because we know that there is a gut-brain axis. Um, you know, you say I have this gut feeling when you're, you have a gut feeling about something in it but it's in your mind. So we know that there is that access there um, or that, that link. She also talks about meditation, kundalini yoga, 
Um, so she goes through a whole lifestyle change. And I have listened to some of the interviews that uh, have been talked about um, on her, her. She does little interviews with her patients and some of them are just there. After 20 years of it being in a really bad way, they've gone under her and really had some changes. And one of the things that I, I've done is that um, I'm doing a video series at the moment and the video series is with Kirsty Worth who really helped my daughter who was going into anxiety and a little bit of depression and, and there was no way I was going down the drug route and that was because of a medical procedure that happened. And um, we um, got a video series going on how do we heal our gut? So I'm, we're not necessarily doing the kundalini yoga and the meditation although that's really important and i know karen and kim you both talk about these things but you know we're looking at how do we heal the gut to clear the brain to get out of that anxiety and that depression um what are the, what are the steps in order us to do so I, I recommend people to go over and and listen to it it's a free video series on on what what is possible and what we can do um, so there's something to look at. If, if your psychiatrist or your, your doctor is not um, prepared to work with you with lifestyle, then um, there are many people to go to to, to work with lifestyle. And I, I would recommend um, what you do, Kim, in your uh, helping people to, you know, have respect and do that self-love. I think that's important. And I recommend that, Karen, they do your one of your programs um, because you just open up the possibilities and, and I, you know, and that's what I love. So we do have skills. We're not telling you to go off your medication, but we do have skills, the three of us in order to, um, you know, to help. Yeah. I think, I think if a person, you know, if, if you, for all of our listeners that, have been listening to today's podcast that have got an interest in this because for them it's either for themselves or for somebody that they know. I think that there's an incentive there to do some research and to just do a little bit of Googling and, yeah. you know, certainly look up on all of the things that you've mentioned there, Cindy, and to just become informed and, you know, just take a little bit on for yourself rather than relying on anything or anyone outside of yourself for your well-being because there's definitely things that you can get from other people and from us, of course, and we are totally at your service, all three of us. Um, and I think it's important that everybody feels like they're making informed decisions along the way no matter what they do, you know. Mm. So I think, it's, I think it's been a terrific podcast where we've really had a chance to just sort of sit around and chat about, about the things that we've been thinking about with all of this. So thanks, girls. Thank you. Mm. It's good. I've learned mm. a lot. Mm. Very contemplative, I think, the three of us are now. <laughs> Just as well we're having a yes. social evening tonight to... Um, True that. Yeah, to, to um, pull this up a little bit. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yes, for the first time in how long? I don't know how long it's been. For the first time in forever, the three of mm -hmm. us are getting together for dinner tonight. How fun is that going to be? I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> I can't wait. Maybe that's, that will be a podcast to record. 
Okay, so maybe we'll just put the phone on and record at the table and just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. Well, thanks, you guys. We'll sign off now and I'll see you two crazy cats tonight. Look forward to it. Love you both. Look forward <laughs> to, love it. to you too. So for all of our listeners, hopefully you guys have loved today's podcast. Head on over to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. And please be sure to leave your comments and your questions right there for us. Also too, if there is anything that you'd like us to explore or to discuss, please go ahead and leave a note for us on the Facebook page or send us a private message. And the three of us are in and out of the private messages on that Facebook page constantly. So Send us anything that you're interested in exploring. If you've liked today's podcast, if you've got some questions about it or you've got some thoughts or even personal experiences, we would love to hear from you. You can also go ahead and leave your comments and questions at allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. Now we're going to join you here again, same time, same station next week on Up for a Chat where you get to become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And we are going to see you on the ride. Bye for now, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.